Thank you, platform workers. Thank you for your liberality tonight. Very much appreciated. Amen. Luke chapter 12. If you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 12. Amen. I want to preach a sermon tonight. Uh, uh, amen. If you can stay seated, that really help me. Uh, amen. A little moving around. But uh, I want to preach a sermon tonight titled God and Money uh, to give us a proper understanding how they work together. Uh, amen. So I want to read you a letter, though. Pastor Campbell, I just sent this to all of us pastors on the field uh, yesterday, I think. I got it maybe two days ago. Yeah, so I just want to read it to you, and maybe you don't want to understand all of it because someone's just talking to pastors, but uh, those that are pioneering, but you, you get the, uh, the gist of what is being said. It says, uh, says, first, dear pastors, I want to thank you and your family for your vision, passion, and dedication to Pioneer Church. For a number of months, I have been praying and pondering a growing problem of financial support. I understand the issues ha having pioneered two churches in the U.S., as well as pioneering in Malaysia in the late 80s. In Phoenix, I was off support. <clears throat> in Phoenix, I was off support in seven months. In Marin, Illinois, we were off support in four months. The church in Malaysia was off support in one year, and this was a time where the economy was barely above third world standards. We never expected or asked for a cell phone or fuel allowance. I was unable to attend my father's funeral because there was no money and the church was also experiencing a breakthrough. So, leave, uh, so leaving was not an option for Connie and I. Also in those days, Connie and I understood that when we went out, the pioneer's support would be reduced 25% every quarter for one year. By the end of that year, you would be on self-support. I never asked Prescott for money to cover revivals, outreaches, auto repairs, etc. By believing God for the money and not having to ask for it, this drove us to believing God and, and was a powerful motivator to see people saved and the church grow. We outreached four to five times a week, followed up every night, prayed and fasted to make it work, and we knew uh, uh, or we knew we'd have to come home. My concern is, it has, been, it has become a pattern to just ask Chandler for money rather than believe God. This limits your spiritual growth and makes the church you pioneer weak. Somewhere you have to believe God and build dignity, maturity, and faith in your people by letting your congregation know. This is our church and we want to support ourselves and trust God. You have to preach and challenge your people to give and to have faith in the Bible that God will bless uh, money is spiritual. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your people will not support their church, then it is not a church. It's like having a 30-year-old child still living at home and never growing up. What about church planting? If you can't support your church, how can you support a baby church? Connie and I understood the sooner we were off support that this freed up money in the mother church to plant more churches. We and Chandler have recently launched a number of churches. If you visit conference, there's a bunch of them. It goes on to say the cost to do this is staggering. We need you to help us and move your church off support as quickly as possible. Then he gives a little testimony. Connie and I understand that there were sacrifices involved in pastor and pioneer churches. 
We lived in a church attic and the Sunday school rooms for a year and a half. Drove old cars and had no credit card debt. If we couldn't afford it, we didn't do it. Uh, but we built churches. The question is, will you? Time is short, so what are you going to do for God? We must do quickly. And uh, so I'm reading this, but I've talked to Pastor Campbell a number of times through the years and about pioneering, planting churches, different things. And uh, so anyway, with all that in mind, I'm going to preach on a sermon I've titled God Money out of Luke 12. Tonight we start at verse 13. So then from the crowd, uh, then one said from the crowd to him, Teacher, tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this, I will pull down my barns and build bigger. And there I will store my crops and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be that you have provided? So uh, is it he who lays up treasures for himself is not rich towards God. Father, I pray tonight, give us understanding. Uh, God, in money, God, I pray in relationship with you, I pray, God, help us. God, give us dominion in life, God, that we can rule over money. God, not money, rule over us. Uh, I pray, God, give us uh, resources. We can be givers in your kingdom. God, bless your people tonight. God, people say, amen. So this is the first of the money trap tonight, the money trap. <clears throat> Two brothers here in our text are not finding middle ground concerning their inheritance. Uh, amen. So the brother is wanting uh, Jesus to involve himself in this matter. Jesus wisely doesn't do that, but he does say, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. While Jesus doesn't involve himself in this family dispute over money, he does give us some valuable insight concerning how to handle money. Verse 16. Uh, Jesus speaks a parable to them of both a wise and a foolish man concerning handling money. Jesus said he's wise, uh, understanding the power of money. He goes out and he builds a nice business. Amen. He has an abundance of wealth. He buys land. Uh, he seeds and he harvests that land. And he talks about building barns, amen, to fill uh, them with grain. So he has been very successful in life. This is a diligent man. This is a man that's put his hand to the plow uh, and has figured out how to make money, and that's a good thing. I believe God's given us all the ability to learn how to make some money and to get by life, and I think that's a good thing. But the foolish thing was, uh, uh, amen, in all of that, the Bible said when he thought within himself, there was no thought concerning God. There was no thought concerning giving to God at all. Uh, it was only what can I make? How can I store what I make? How can I invest in what I want for myself? There's no thought in the, about God or the kingdom of God. So the first money trap is that of covetousness. Covetousness, by definition, is extreme greed for material wealth. Our text, uh, a man came from the crowd and said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with 
me. Now this is probably the younger brother. Custom in that day, the inheritance would be uh, given to the older brother at the father and the mother's death, uh, and he would distribute that out. Uh, so this younger brother is coming to Jesus and saying, listen, uh, he's not being fair. He's not dividing the wealth. He's trying to uh, get Jesus to force his brother to, uh, you know, get. You know, he wants his part of the inheritance. But they probably both have a great problem because Jesus said this, uh, he, and he said to them, meaning both of them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist uh, in the abundance of things he possessed. Covetousness is a money trap. When you begin to think, uh, uh, amen, of material wealth, and that's it, what I can get, what I can uh, accumulate for me, there's a trap involved there. Uh, amen, what is extreme greed tonight? Uh, one, in the biblical standpoint, is simply when that becomes more important to you than tithing. Amen. When uh, the, our wealth takes our tithe, or the, uh, amen, what we want in life takes our tithe, that is greed tonight. They, again, they probably both have a problem. But Jesus goes further and says the bigger problem is uh, in all you're getting, there's no liberality to God. Covetousness pushes the very thought of God out of your mind. Uh, it says when he thought within himself, there's no thought of God. Uh, the only thought he has is uh, build barns, bigger barns, store my crops. So covetousness uh, is a trap tonight. Greed is a trap uh, because it pushes God out of your mind uh, at all, amen, and you begin to keep what's even God's. The second money trap is thinking how you view money doesn't affect you spiritually or eternity, or your eternity. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were greedy and dishonest with their money. In verse 3 it says this, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is that Satan has filled your heart uh, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept back for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you when it, uh, before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to man but to God. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard uh, what had happened. So the second trap is we think how I view money doesn't affect my spiritual life or my eternity, but it does. How we view money uh, uh, affects both of us now and in eternity, uh, and and I just had to find this out the hard way, so let's not find out the hard way. Money is so powerful tonight, it's mastering. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He will hate the one, love the other. He will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So money is mastering tonight. I know people, uh, uh, as I traffic through the days, I do my own uh, job, I talk to people, you can tell oh, they're all about the money. They're all about the dollar, all about making, all about getting, all about saving, all about putting it back, uh, building. Uh, there's no thought of God. It is mastering tonight. Uh, as Wayne said in the offering, it's never enough. It's like hoarders. Uh, hoarders not just stuff, but people hoard money as well. Uh, they hoard money. Uh, they just want bankrolls and bankrolls and bank. They're never going to use it, not spend it, not. Uh, they just want it. Money, spiritual night. Truth 
If God is your master, you love to tithe and give offerings. Think about it. If God is truly your God tonight, you have no problem tithing and giving offerings. When I got saved, God did such a miracle. I had no problem tithing. When my pastor laid out, he tithed is the Lord's offerings besides, uh, me and my wife had no problem. But if money's your master, you despise the offering plate. You just, ah, it's offering again. <sighs> or you get them to the bathroom, don't worry about it. I've used this before, but it's worth using again here tonight. An artist was asked to paint a picture of a dying church. Uh, so the artist right away began to uh, paint. The day of unveiling came. Everybody is waiting with anticipation. You can imagine uh, what's it going to look like. What's, uh, uh, and as he pulls the veil off of the painting, uh, to their surprise, it's a beautiful church. The grass, the bushes, the trees, all uh, manicured and Everything's beautiful, and they're, they're looking at him. Hey, you know, we asked you to paint a picture of a dying church. The artist said, hey, look closer. As they looked through the window of the church, through that window, they seen the offering plate covered with cobwebs. He makes a statement, when the offering dies, the church dies. Matthew 3, 9, Jesus said, uh, or nothing is working right, crops are failing, you can read it, uh, Marriages are breaking apart. Prayers aren't being answered. And God said the reason is because you're cursed with a curse. Now think about that. Sitting in the house of God, but cursed. Sitting in the house of God, they're praying. They're coming to church, but there's a curse on them. Their marriages are frustrated. Uh, their prayers are not being answered. Uh, I, mean, cry, I mean, you read it, uh, you can, uh, it's horrible. But then God tells him why they're cursed. You're cursed uh, because you're robbing me, robbing me, even this whole nation. Malachi 1.13. Jesus said, you uh, bring me uh, the stolen, the lamb, the sick, and the blemished. When they were supposed to bring God the best. In their law, amen, they had to bring God the first, the best. Uh, but as they're looking at what they have, uh, they're saying, hey, listen, let's give God. He's sick. He's going to die anyway. He's blemished. We wouldn't want to eat that. It might make us so sick. Uh, or the Bible said the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Uh, so they're giving God the leftovers, basically. Let me go out and spin and make and do what I want to do. Then I'll give God the pocket change I have left. And God said, that's why you're cursed. Malachi 3.10, God says, correct the problem, and you'll be blessed. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, uh, and, and put me to the test, God says. And goes on to say, God, I'll open the windows of heaven. I'll pour out blessing. I'll rebuke the devourer. Uh, you'll be a blessed nation. Uh, and that is still true today. First Timothy, Paul tells the church in verse 10, for love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I mean, it's amazing how uh, as you read the news, if you hear things, uh, what people do for money. The evil, the ungodliness, the vile stuff that people do for money. He said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves through with, through with many grieves. Uh, how many Christians have left the will of God uh, and been pierced through because of their love for money? Amen. Ecclesiastes 5 
Solomon gives us this truth about covetousness, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Don't get caught in the money trap. Look, secondly, doing what is right with your money is a hard issue. It's not that I don't have enough money. It's a hard issue. I've talked to people, I've passed, I just can't afford to tithe. I just can't afford to give offerings. Uh, uh, that's not the issue. The issue is a hard issue because when your heart's right, you tithe on the dollar you have in your pocket. When your heart's right, amen, it's not the dollar, it's not the amount uh, at all. In our text, verse 16, and when he thought then himself saying, uh, what should or what shall I do? There's no prayer. There's no spirituality. God, what would you have me do with all this extra? God, what would you have me do with what you have given me the ability to make? Uh, it's a heart issue. His heart was all about self. His heart was all about how he can bless himself. There's no thought about God. So uh, it's a heart issue, not a money issue. Colossians 3, 5, Paul has given them some spiritual understanding on a lot of fronts. He said, put to death therefore whatsoever belongs to the earthly nature. And he mentions a few things, five things, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. See, one of the problems is that we don't put greed uh, up there as bad as sexual immorality. We don't put not tithing up there with sexual immorality. We're, this is bad. Uh, this is, uh, you know, this is, don't do that again. Right? But Paul says it's worse. Greed is worse. Uh, when someone commits sexual immorality or has a lust problem, we deal with it harshly and severely. Uh, but when somebody's not tithing and giving an offering, many times again, it's just a slap on the hand. That's how it's viewed today. Uh, uh, and that's how it's viewed in our generation, our world. Uh, we say, well, you know, that's just a, that's just a personal that's just between them and God, whether they give or not. Well, you wouldn't say that they were caught in adultery. You wouldn't say that they were homosexuals. Uh, well, that's just between them and the Lord. Right? You wouldn't say that, but when it comes to money, well, you know, it's just, you got to work it out with God. Out of the five sins that Paul mentions here, he says greed is the worst because it involves idolatry. Idolatry, idol, is an idol which demands worship. When we put money before God, it becomes an idol that demands our worship. Greed, is all, uh, greed has taken out many good men in the Bible. I begin to go through some of these men uh, and women as well in the Bible that when greed got a hold of them, uh, it changed all the dynamics. In the beginning, we talked about Cain. Uh, amen. Because uh, his view of Money, Esau lost his birthright, Lot sold out Abraham, Achan brought a curse upon Israel, Judas betrayed Jesus, Demas forsook Paul, all because of greed. Think about these men, uh, powerful destiny, will of God before them, words spoken over their lives, uh, but because of greed and how they viewed money, uh, they lost it. And don't think that somehow greed won't get you. Don't think that somehow you figured it all out. Uh, yeah, it got them, but it's not going to get me. I'm smarter than that. Well, they probably thought that too. 
Colossians 3, Paul says, unless you kill greed, uh, you will worship it. So put to death, therefore, whatsoever belongs to your earthly nature. You have to deal with greed just as harsh as you deal with sexual immorality. You know, if you have a sexual immoral problem, the first thing we say is put a filter on your phone, your tablet, and your computer. Your computer. First thing you do, put a, put a filter on that. Uh, second, make yourself accountable to your spouse if you're married uh, by giving them your passwords. Uh, amen. Third, uh, uh, you give your, if you're not married, you give your password to a trusted friend uh, and make yourself accountable to your pastor. Uh, that's, just, that's just reasonable. <laughs> that's just a starting point. Uh, so when we say when somebody's involved in that, we're going to deal with the harshly. We, we, we have to, we're going to correct that problem. But when it comes to not tithing, not giving offerings, eh, not that big of a deal. You know, the way you kill greed is you faithfully tithe and give offering and sign your name. I don't want to sign my name. Well, you need to for accountability. You know, when you kill something, it's painful. Let me say it this way. If you've not been paying your tithe and giving offerings, when you start doing it, it's going to be painful. If you've been enjoying God's money for a while, and now you're going to start doing right with God's money, it's going to be painful because you're going to kill the flesh. The old man, the wrong woman, has been stealing God's tithe. Uh, amen. To feed the flesh by spending God's tithe on clothes, food, entertainment, Car payments, house payment, credit cards. That's what people still got tithe for most of the time. And listen, uh, it's going to put up a fight. It's going to lie to your emotions uh, uh, by inserting doubt, fear. Uh, it's going to try to win back the money somehow. But just like you deal with everything else, you've got you to kill it. I tell people, if you don't kill sexual immorality, it's going to get you five years down the road. I had a call last night by a pastor uh, in Texas that, that I've known for years. That he asked me about a guy that uh, my memory had to go back. He asked me about this guy I knew 15, 20 years ago. It's in our church, uh, in ministry in our church. He said, tell me about this guy. So he showed up at our church last month. He got saved, but he's homeless. He has nothing. And so I began to tell him the story about this guy. He said, man, he's a good man. He had a family, three daughters, great family in the church doing moving for God, but he simply wouldn't kill the sexual immoral problem uh, and ended up uh, destroying his marriage. He had no relationship with these three daughters the whole time they grew up, uh, and today he's homeless. I told him all of them years ago, listen, you better, take, you better kill that. It's going to get you. Uh, it's going to come. You can't play with fire and not get burned. You know, my wife and I, as soon as we get paid... Our tithing offering set aside. And the very first church service we get to, it goes into play. We don't hold on to it for a month. I have people do that. They, you know, I, you know they hold on to it for two weeks a month. Uh, I, I can't do it. I don't want to confuse God's tithe with my money. I don't want to think, hey, I've got 100 bucks, uh, 200 bucks. Well, that's really God's money. And then I give it to you. <sighs> 
I need to go out and eat with that. But <laughs> we don't touch the tithe no matter what. That's the rule in our house. If that's God's tithe, that's our offering a pledge, we don't touch it no matter what. I don't care if I don't eat. Right, we ain't touching it. Not only is God wants to give our tithe and our offering, but God says, I want you to excel in this. Second Corinthians 8, 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness uh, and in your love of uh, love, see that you excel in the grace of giving as well. As, as we want to grow in everything else, God said, up your giving a little bit. Amen. We try, me and my wife try to always beat last year. I always give more, I always challenge ourselves. The Second Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, the Macedonian churches. So they have the most severe trials overflowing, uh, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So money's not the issue, the heart's the issue. So you can't say I don't have the money to tithe. Uh, if I tithe, I'm going to fall short somewhere else. That's not the issue. God can make miracle money. God can stretch. Uh, uh, many times God has stretched our finances. I don't know how the bills got paid, but they got paid. Because we simply tithe, gave our offerings, uh, uh, committed ourselves to the pledge if we had one, uh, and we did. And the bills were paid. So thirdly, God's desire to bless. All through the Bible we see this truth. God desires, we see his desire, his willingness, and his doing. Blessing time and time again, feeding the 4,000 men besides women and children with the boys' lunch. That's God's desire to bless. That's God's desire to increase. Uh, that's a picture of the God we serve. God's given us a, a picture of who he is. Uh, listen, God can, from a little that is released into his hands, uh, he can meet the bigger needs. And he said, I'm more than willing to do that. I believe God had a smile on his face all the time he did it. But he's not a sugar daddy either. That lavishes us with gifts just because. I'm amazed people don't pray, they don't tithe and give offerings, but they pray and ask God to bless their finances. I said, you're not reading the Bible right, bro. You can't pray that prayer. They don't line up. <laughs> But God is a blesser. 2 Corinthians 9, but God works by principle. Look at verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 9. Who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supplies and multiplies the seed that you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Very simple truth here. God gives first, uh, and when we become a giver, that increases. God gives, uh, and, we, and when we give what he has given first, uh, there's a blessing behind that. God uh, gives that, that so we can give. You know, giving will be challenged. First Corinthians or First Kings seventeen verse eight. So then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, "Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you." So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold. A widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going uh, to bring it, he called her and said, Bring me a morsel of food or bread in your hand. And she said, As Lord your God lives, I have nothing 
baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that me and my son may that I may prepare for my son and myself we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake uh, of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and for your son. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be uh, empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went, and as, and she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate many days, uh, probably a couple years. And the jar of, of flour was not spent, neither the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoke to Elisha. Notice what God didn't say here, though. We see what God did say. Notice what he didn't say. Uh, he didn't say, listen, she's on hard times, so I don't expect too much. He didn't say, hey, listen, uh, she got very little, so don't ask for a whole lot. Don't ask for all that she has, uh, because we want her and her son to eat. Notice that's not there. Because God knew she was on hard times. Uh, he knew that she had very little. God knew that she was down to her last little bit of meal and oil. But God said, I want you to go there too, anyway. You know why God did that? Because giving was her way out of this. If she calculated by human uh, uh, standards, which she tried at first, uh, but then there came the challenge, hey, I only have a little bit. Uh, I'm going to gather some sticks. Me and my son are going to eat it. And we're going to die. In other words... Uh, well, there's no guarantee another meal's coming in. Uh, but the challenge came, well, uh, amen, you go do what you say, but bring me something first. You know, your giving will be challenged. There's always going to be a need that says, give it to me first. Your cell phone bill. You can live without a cell phone, trust me. I didn't know one until I was 35. Teenagers, oh my gosh, really, how did you survive? <laughs> Right? <laughs> you can live without a cell phone. It's going to be challenged. But what are you going to do when it's challenged? She believed Elijah. The Bible says she went and did as the man of God said. And because of that, she ate many days. calculated up about two years. Because of her obedience to God, she ate her and her whole family. You know, believers that don't tithe and give offerings is like a fearful and foolish farmer that won't plant seed because he said it may not rain. Amen. Wouldn't that be foolish if uh, a farmer had this big old bag of seed? Uh, I'm not going to plant because it may not rain. I don't want to waste the seed. That's how believers that won't tithe and give offering think. I'm not going to give because something may happen, may not have enough. Well, you know anything about farming, that, that seed's going to dry up and be no good anyway in time. You're going to spend your tithe and offering somewhere anyway. Luke 8, or 6, 38, Jesus said, Give and it shall be given to you. Good measures pressed down, shaped together, running over, will be put into your lap. Amen. Uh, but the foolish and the fearful don't believe that. Right? You know, the, the Acts Church, what a testimony to believe in God they were. The Bible said they were doctrinally sound. 
They were faithful to church fellowshipping, uh, and they were tremendous givers. Look at chapter 4, verse 32. Now, in the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that anything that belonged to him was his own. In other words, he willing to give, give up everything if God asked. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon all of them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land and houses sold them or brought the proceeds that was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had needs. And Bartimaeus, uh, uh, the Bible says, sold land and gave it. Uh, what a tremendous blessing. When a church first, they have doctrines right, uh, they're fellowshipping, they're faithful to the church, and they're a giving church. Uh, listen, that's a powerful thing right there. Let's put things in perspective for a minute. Give me a couple more minutes here. We Americans, we may not be the rich man that Jesus is talking about in our text, but we are the rich men and women of the world. If you're on welfare, you're rich. There's no such thing as food stamps in Africa. Come on. You can't go down to the, uh, uh, you know, you can ask Shelly. She's seen in Zambia people... You can't go to the city and say, hey, I need a little bit of rent money. You give, give me some food money. It's not happening. You know, in Zambia, Africa, we were there, uh, when we were there, the average income was $50 American dollars a month if they were blessed to have a job. 80% of our church had no running water. If they had electricity, it was sketchy. They had no refrigerators. Each house had a rack uh, uh, or a, a cabinet with seven racks on it, uh, and each rack represented a day's food. And most of the time on that rack was dried up fish, stunk, flies everywhere on it. I mean, it's bad. Eighty percent of our church lived in a two-room block house. Didn't matter if they had five or ten people in the house, lived in two rooms, not two bedrooms, two rooms. Block homes. Most of them slept on straw mats. No matches, no box springs. Our church is about 700 people, and there's only one other car besides mine in the whole church. You know the miracle was? 80% of our church gave tithing offerings. We had a lady, I forget her name, maybe Shelly, she walked 45 minutes to church. You remember her name? Old lady, crippled hands, uh, couldn't see, she's half blind. Uh, but she walked 45 minutes through a field that was filled with alligators and snakes. She is faithful. She didn't even know English. Her, her, uh, so she, I don't think she'd get what I was saying. Their native language was Bimba. Uh, but she just wanted to be in church. I remember we're counting the offering, we're counting the tithe. You almost just want to give it back because they live on very little. Their clothes, uh, they have one nice set of clothes uh, and they wear it for Sunday church. Most of the week they don't wear shoes. They don't have, a lot of them only have one pair of shoes and it's their Sunday shoes. 
But I was, floor, I was blown away. 80% of them gave their tithe and their offering. You know, giving is a reflection of your heart. Let me close here. Giving is also a reflection of your faith. Uh, remember Abraham with Isaac. He's going to sacrifice him on an altar. Giving speaks of our vision. I mentioned Acts 4, Barnabas. Uh, I mentioned 2 Corinthians 8, the Macedonian church. Uh, because they had a vision, they gave. A person that tithes and gives offerings uh, can be trusted with greater riches, Jesus said. Luke 16, verse 10. Jesus said, He was faithful, and that which is least is faithful also in much. But he goes on to say this. He was unjust, and the least also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon or money, who will commit to your trust true riches? How many know ministry is more important than riches? Guys, if you can be faithful with this little thing called money, I can give you ministry one day. If you can simply pay your tithe on this little bit here, I can make you a pastor, pastor's wife one day. I can make you a missionary one day. If you can be faithful to little. It goes on to say, No man can serve two masters, for they'll hate the one, love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God in money or mammon. One man said, Money's a good tool, but a horrible leader. If you follow the money, you end up falling off a cliff somewhere. So the challenge to you and I tonight, one, uh, is that uh, we need to give God what is His. That's the starting ground. Uh, the tithe, the offering belongs to the Lord. Uh, if we can do that, listen, uh, uh, we can be challenged to even go do greater. Simple truth, Malachi 3. God said, if you give your tithe, your offerings... Open the windows of heaven to you, rebuke the devourer, and the nations will call you blessed. That's still true today. God blesses those that will give and tithe and offering. Let's bow our heads tonight.